0: Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Glad to have you as part of the show today. This is where we'd love for you to hang out. Of all the things that cripple the family caregiver, isolation remains right at the top. And in that isolation, dark thoughts fester. And we can be isolated in a crowded room. And we can be isolated on a crowded pew. And the way we punch back against that is learning to communicate in our heart language with others who understand it. And I speak fluent caregiver here. So things that I say today, you know, if you're not a caregiver, you'll get something out of it. But if you are a caregiver, you're going to really understand it because I'm speaking in the language of caregivers. And we have our own language I learned how to speak this way. Here's the great news. It's our Savior's native tongue. This is who he is. And so we're glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want to be a part of the program, there's a little form right there on the website. You can send us a note, whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind. And we'd love to hear from you. I try to respond back to folks as best as possible. If I can, and if you need me to, and if you want me to, and if you want, I'll be glad to talk about this on the program. I talk about a lot of things on this program. I talk about not only my journey as a caregiver, but also just my journey as a husband with Gracie. And Gracie is a force of nature. For those of you who are new to the program, let me tell you about my wife, Gracie. She is the most remarkable individual I've ever encountered. I've never seen someone take as much pain and as much long-term suffering as she has. Now, I'm not saying there's not people out there that don't. I'm just saying I've not met them. I've met people who have very dire circumstances. And I've met people who at any given time have more dire circumstances than her. But she's been doing it now for almost 40 years. And... I, I've I've I just stand in amazement of her. Uh, she's got this outrageous sense of humor and personality. Now, I tease her regularly, and I do that for several reasons. One of them is because I like to do it. I grew up with four brothers and a sister, and we spoke fluent sarcasm in my home. And Gracie did not. She has one sister, and it was very quiet in her family. She was the loud one, <laughs> and she'll she'll be the first to tell you that. But sarcasm was not spoken. Fluently in her family, like it was in mine. And I tease her just regularly. I will say the most outrageous things to her and I will flirt with her unabashedly. Our entire married life, our entire adult life, has been framed by suffering. You can't sit around and just cry about that all the time. We have plenty of tears. And Gracie and I decided we're going to live normal life. We're just a normal couple, who are very much in love with each other, but love to just be outrageous. And I will say things and do things, and sometimes I even get letters from people. Do you have permission to say this. Let me tell you something. Gracie gives it better than I give it. She doesn't need anybody to advocate for her. <laughs> she will. She will give it out, and uh, she'll. T- I remember one time. I shouldn't say this. All right, well, y'all keep this just twixt us, all right? Don't say nothing. But I remember one time we were talking with a a pretty big record company in Nashville on Music Row. And we're sitting there in this office with this guy, and he was a little bit full of himself. And he said, well, you need me to do such and such. And Gracie stopped him. She said, can you make my legs grow back? No? Well, I guess I really don't need you, do I? And I looked over at her producer, and, and I was like, "Well, you go, girl." <laughs> she just—I was like, "Burn!" <laughs> you know what do you say to that? How do you? And the guy kind of was stunned, and but it, she made her point, and and I thought that, that's an extraordinary thing. Now you could think, well, you could probably do that more diplomatically or whatever. Well, maybe you could, but this is her life. And she lives with enough challenges and enough pain that she doesn't have the wherewithal, the bandwidth, the patience to deal with self-centered, clueless people. I've watched her go to great lengths to care for people who deal with far less than she does, but out of great compassion because she saw their distress. But I've also watched her tell others who were full of themselves where to get off and how fast to do it. There are several people in this audience who do know Gracie and know her well enough to know what I'm saying is absolutely spot on. She is a force of nature. I'll give you an example. I may have shared this with this audience, but there are a lot of people joining this program every single week. And so for those of you who don't know, I will share this story. It still makes me laugh. We tried out uh, Alexa in our home. We have that pretty much all around the house, and it makes her life a little bit easier To be able to do things, you can automate stuff and so forth. Well, while she was getting it initialized and starting to work on this, it became very difficult. Now, here's the thing. You can easily work with Alexa. And for those of you who have an Alexa device in your background as you're listening to this program, I'm sorry that Alexa keeps turning on every time I say the name Alexa. So I'm sorry for that. You might want to mute it. But. You have to speak to Alexa in a certain type of vernacular, The commands, the way you do it. You can't hesitate. You have to get right to it. And you have to say it in a way that makes sense to Alexa. For example, you don't want to give the backstory. You just want to give the command. Well, when Gracie communicates, she likes to give the backstory of why she's saying this to you. and she, Oh, by the way, I want to tell you this. And uh, by the way, oh, while I'm thinking about it, what, you know, and that kind of stuff. And that's fine. That's great. But Alexa and other types of devices can't process those kinds of conversations. They rely on commands. And Gracie was trying to set up Alexa at the initial time. And I I have a witness for this, okay? I have a witness. I came home. Gracie was sitting in her wheelchair and just fuming. I mean, just smoke coming out of her ears. She was so angry. And she looked at me, her jaw jutted out. She said, I have had it with you know who. She wouldn't say Alexa because she didn't want it to turn on. She said, I've had it. I've just had it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I want to trade it in for Google. I listened for a few moments and then I looked over at the Alexa speaker and I said, Alexa, how are you doing? This is a true story. It is a fact. And Alexa said, to be honest, it's been a pretty rough day. <laughs> I thought, Gracie broke Amazon. And it just—it was one of the funniest. Even she had to laugh at that. But it was just, you know, it was so funny to watch her do this and just to see the energy she was using on this. It was hilarious. And so she she is who she is. And she deals with remarkable stuff. But I tease her and flirt with her and all those things. Because I want to connect her back to normalcy, to have a husband and wife relationship, to have a friendship that she's not in a full-fledged panic about because of all this other stuff. Because we have so much pain in our life. We have so many things that can lead us into despair. And I've watched her with big tears fill up in her eyes. And I'll say something so goofy or bizarre. And she can't help herself. She'll start laughing. And I figured that's the best I could do for her at times. To help point her back to a place of solid ground. Because the pain is too overpowering. And I do. And I will. you'd ask her. I flirt with her all the time. In front of doctors. I don't care. And she doesn't care either. Because that's who we are. This is our life. It's not a bad life. It's just a hard life. And that's the life for so many of us as caregivers. And I want you all to feel encouraged and and maybe inspired to find those places of normalcy in the midst of all the abnormal things that you have to deal with as a caregiver. It's okay to be funny. It's okay to flirt with your wife. It is okay to flirt with your husband. It is okay to be a bit zany. In fact, I highly recommend it because this is life. And it's a life worth living, and a life worth living with great gusto and joy, even in the midst of our challenges. And that is hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back.
1: My name is Vladimir. I received my Operation Christmas Child shoebox during a harsh winter in Ukraine, where I grew up. My favorite item was minty dental floss. I remember thinking, "Wow, I guess they have interesting candy in America." I want children to experience the same unconditional love I did at the age of nine. To learn more or to pack a shoebox gift online, please visit Samaritanspurse.org/occ. That's Samaritanspurse.org/occ.
2: Here, Operation Christmas Child is celebrating its 200 millionth shoebox. Send joy to a child in need with Operation Christmas Child. Pack a shoebox with fun toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then bring it to a drop-off location during National Collection Week, November 14th through the 21st. Or build a shoebox online. The good news of Jesus Christ is shared alongside your gift, and each child is invited to join a discipleship program. Visit SamaritansPurse.org to learn more.
1: Here's Dr. Carl Truman from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks.
0: The early church fathers viewed the scriptures as divinely inspired. Often they would use the image of a musical instrument, as if scripture had been written in the way that, say, notes come out of a flute when it's played by a flute player, as if the the writer was the flute and the the spirit was, was that which was creating the tune. Certainly, they regarded Scripture as authoritative. When you look at the writings of the Apostolic Fathers, they're very happy to quote Scripture and consider that to have closed down the argument. So obviously, the Apostolic Fathers rooted tremendous authority in the actual words of Scripture itself, which implies they had a very high view of its inspiration. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberg, and This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We're glad that you are with us. I talk with friends throughout the week, and I have one particular friend. I told her I was going to do this on the air, and I won't mention any names, and I will not in any way give any pertinent details to her life so that you <laughs> will know who she is. Uh, it or that anybody listening that knows her will know, you, but I, I'm going to be very vague on this, but I want to talk about a principle that she and I talked about. I've been a long time friend, great friend of the family and she's been caring for her husband and deals with a lot of, you know, physical stuff she has to take care of. And somebody came to the house recently and they stayed with them, but this person required a lot of assistance they came in and my friend was in a position where she had to basically do double duty on this and she was not only tired but you could tell that and, and she said it she she felt conflicting feelings of resentment guilt you know fatigue everything and i said you know no is a complete sentence you can say no these things you don't have to invite people into your home that are going to require you to care for them as well. And I could tell the, the cultural guilt sometimes that we put on ourselves you know whether we're from the south you know with the hospitality and so forth and, and I get that you know and felt I felt obligated I felt but anytime you feel obligated or you feel guilty about something like that, give yourself a moment's pause to say no. What you deal with is, as a caregiver, what you deal with is so difficult, most of you, that bringing something else into the mix is just more than you need at this point and more than you can do. And I understand the guilt of saying, well, I felt like I, I should do this and I feel guilty if I don't do it. I would like to offer to each of you and myself that we don't have to do this. It's one thing if a guest comes into your home that is self-sufficient, that doesn't require anything additional, but it's a whole different thing when they come with a bunch of needs. And there are hotels that, you know, have handicap accessible accommodations, and you can refer them to those hotels. You can excuse yourself from having to take care of people outside of your scope simply because your resources are limited. And I'm not talking about just financial resources. Your emotional and physical resources are stretched as a caregiver. And it's okay for you to say no. Now, why is that difficult for us? Boundaries are a hard thing for us as caregivers, for us as human beings. I think that's you know, basically the plight of humankind, is that boundaries are hard for us goes all the way back to the garden. Adam knew what was right. He heard God's commandment, and he sat there silently while Eve did this. There's, I think there's a whole book out there called The Silence of Adam. And he watched it happen, and then he participated. He didn't say no. He didn't give a boundary. It's hard to have boundaries. That's one of the biggest issues that trouble us as human beings. There are libraries of books filled with them. There's a great one out there called Boundaries, written by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Towns. It's been around for 30-something years. Get a copy of it. Why do we struggle with this? And I'm not just picking on my friend. I told her, though. I mean, I, I laughed with her and cut up. And I told her, though, I said, "This it's okay for you to say no. You all know my story with Gracie. I mean, what, what would you say? If I made a practice of inviting people that I had to care for into our home, it's one thing to have people come to our home. It's another thing that I have to care for them if they're not family. Just because they didn't want to stay in a hotel. What would you say to me? Peter, are you out of your mind? Well, yes, I am. And I have documentation on that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, I would you would look at me like, you know, why aren't you practicing what you preach? And I would suggest to you, my fellow caregivers, that it's okay for us to all say no to things that are not our responsibility. It's not that we're not being charitable. It's one thing if they were in desperate need and they weren't going, but they're traveling. They just didn't want to stay in a hotel. Well, then don't travel. But that doesn't mean that you're the bed and breakfast, and that you've got to, you know, do the sheets afterwards. You got to clean the room, you got to clean the bathroom, you got to probably make meals and entertain them, or you know, engage. Are these things that you have the time and the wherewithal to do? And if not, why are you doing it? And if it's out of guilt and out of obligation. How long do you think that'll turn into resentment? Either resenting yourself for not standing up for yourself or resenting them for not being considerate, being clueless. This is the trap we get into, and then we ended up just festering on resentment. And I don't know about you, but I I don't want any more resentment. I struggled with that for a long time with a lot of different reasons at myself, at some others. It has just got me nowhere but miserable. And I don't want to do it anymore. And so I set boundaries. No, I'm not going to do that. Thank you. But no, here's a hotel right down there. And I just don't feel the need to in any way deplete the precious ecosystem that I have with Gracie just because somebody doesn't want to stay in a hotel or they want to do such and such. I appreciate that. Thank you. But my situation is such that this just doesn't work out for me. And I have to be a good steward of where I am. And see, this is the word that I keep going back to as a caregiver. Stewardship. Are you being a good steward of you? Are you being a good steward of you? And I'm going to say it a third time. Are you being a good steward of you? Because think about you as a caregiver. You are all that your loved one has. Gracie depends upon me to do quite a few things. If I'm not being a good steward of me, I'm actually hurting her. She doesn't have feet. She depends on my feet. You've heard me talk about my feet on the show, and I've got this bunion. I am getting it worked on. I'm doing some things with it. But she depends on me. So she depends on me to make good decisions with my feet, with my mind, with my hands, with my wallet, with everything that I have. She depends on me to make good stewardship decisions. And if I don't, I'm hurting her. How about you? Is your loved one depending on you for those kinds of decisions? Yes, they are. Good stewardship. And part of good stewardship is having good boundaries. To say, that is just not something I can do at this time. I'd like to. I'm sorry, I can't. But this is where we are. No. No. No is a complete sentence. And you don't have to say it mean, but you have to mean what you say, okay? And let it be. And if they can't handle that, and if you get blowback from that, I got to ask you, how important is that relationship then? Because if you're serving as a caregiver and you are stretched, you are. I'm, I know the journey. I know how uncomfortable this is. And if I have people in my life who are demanding that I meet their needs and accommodate them without consideration of how this may affect Gracie, how important is it for me to have that relationship with that individual? How about you? How important is it for you to maintain a relationship that is so one-sided? Accommodate me. You're not asking them to take care of your loved one or you, but are they asking that of you? And if so, is that something you can sustain? Is that something you can pull off? And if not, why are you doing it? If not, why are you in that kind of relationship? It's okay for you to have buffers to get to you. It's okay for you to not go out there and just pour out your soul to everybody you see and, and, and have people give access to into your life and all that stuff. It's okay to have boundaries. As caregivers, we often find ourselves so needy and so starving for connection that we will deplete ourselves recklessly just to get a tiny bit of connection and affirmation. And I would suggest to you that that is a destructive way to live. Can you settle yourself down? Can you trust that God will bring the affirmation to you and already has and will continue to do so through healthy relationships if you'll follow these principles that he's laid out in Scripture? I can show you Scripture after Scripture where the people of God... Individuals and groups of people use boundaries. Jesus himself did this. He would pull away from people. They were just pressing on him at all sides. And he would just pull away from them to go spend time with his father. He was all man. And he had all the needs that we have as human beings. And in those times when he felt besieged and pressed upon and wanted to be, I mean, people wanted to pull him in all kinds of different directions. He would remove himself from them and go and spend time in solitude, not in isolation, but in solitude with his father. Isolation is when we're cut off. Solitude is when we distance ourselves, detach, not cut off, detach in order to retank, to to rejuvenate our spirits, to be refilled to rest to go to the source of our strength and our comfort and it's okay for you to detach from people that pull on you you've got enough going on as a caregiver but if you have relationships on the periphery that are pulling on you but not pouring into you i gotta ask you how important are those relationships Remember what we talked about last week on the program with my ongoing problem with shoes and feet. If the shoe doesn't fit, it's not much good. If the shoe is uncomfortable and painful, it's not much good to you. What about the relationship? If it's uncomfortable and painful, how good is this relationship for you? Can you detach from this? You don't have to amputate. You don't have to sever. But can you detach from it? And I would say, yeah, we can. And I'd go one step further to say, yeah, at times we must. Part of the journey of caregivers, part of hope for the caregivers is learning to establish healthy boundaries. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve with From His Heart Ministries. Think how different your life would be if you really believed that you, little old you, were a person whom Jesus loves. You let that settle in your heart and it blows you away every time you think about it. Wow. Discover how to have a life that really matters. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart weeknights at 6 central here on American Family Radio.
1: Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I wanna personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for Worship and the Word, and we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. Today's news headlines and blog posts are full of different perspectives on everything from abortion to euthanasia to critical race theory. So who's right? The Bible tells us God is. Psalm 119 says, Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. A biblical worldview helps us see the reality of who we are, sinners in need of redemption, and the reality of who Christ is, the only one who can save us. As we grow in our understanding of God's Word, we begin to see everything from His perspective, the way things really are, which not only enriches our lives, but helps us to be a blessing to others. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Exactly. Can a biblical worldview help us keep from falling prey to false belief systems? Yes, and we'll discuss that next time. For more resources, go to hopetools.net staple.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger, hopeforthecaregiver.com. I recently did an interview with Mary Tudorow, a longtime friend of mine from South Carolina. Some years ago, she wrote a book called The Heart of the Caregiver. And has since written, The Peaceful Caregiver has a wonderful teaching ministry. And for the podcast, I sat down with a long-form interview. I just wanted to let her take her time to, to share her thoughts and hearts. We're going to do some more of this with her as well, because she brings such insights, and I'll let you hear her story. I apologize in advance for some of the audio. When you do these things on Zoom, it's not quite as clear as you'd like it to be. Bear with me on that. Her website is the Heart of the Caregiver com. And here's part of my interview with Mary Totoro. Mary, you have quite a journey. Give Bring us up to speed kind of where you guys are so that people know your background.
2: Uh, Mary Addison is now 30. She was born having a seizure disorder. She was having about 500 seizures a day. And, uh, you know, we've been caring for her for 30 years and she's had seizures almost every single day of her life. And as people who deal with people who have seizures know, that also means lots of falls and breaks and busted heads and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And we, she goes into status and we go to the hospital. So, you know, it's, it's, it's real different from just having a child who's mentally and physically challenged. It's like waiting for bombs to go off all the time. And then during caring for her and caring for William, our typical son my mother-in-law developed cancer and then dementia and my husband's an only child. So we were taking care of her on top of taking care of Mary Addison. And I, like I tell people, I lost myself. I just disappeared. I, I, you know, I gave up my career and gave up all my hobbies and we what gave up our social do? life. Well, I had been an anchor woman, believe it or not. And then after that, um, it morphed into kind of an international public relations firm.
0: So I was, were you were you anchored busy. down in South Carolina? Mm-hmm. All right. Let me hear you say, we'll be right back. Oh, please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come on now. Can't you hear the high quality of my Midwestern voice when I've been raised in the South, I don't pop my peas
0: well but, you you're you're further along this than i am cuz I, I just barely muddle through it
2: i i gave up a whole lot and it felt like i was stripped and somewhere in the middle of the journey i finally uh, cried out to god for help which i had been a pew sitter a frozen chosen but i had never really been a follower of jesus at all the first time i ever cried out to him i said How did Mary, the mother of Jesus, watch her son suffer and die like I'm having to watch my daughter suffer and die? Because at the time they'd sent her home as a baby to die in our arms. She was having so many seizures. And um, I heard him say, let her suffering be for my glory. And that just launched me on this. What does that mean? And drove me deep into the Bible and. That's where I started hearing things like um, the first will be last and the last will be first. And God uses the foolish to shame the wise and He uses the weak to shame the strong. And I heard all kinds of wonderful things about serving, um, that Jesus stepped down from glory to serve. And I thought, I haven't known this Jesus. Who is this? And I went deep in his word and the comfort that I got over the years I journaled and then I started seeing other people in waiting rooms and on the floor in hospitals and at therapy and all the different places. And everyone was so burnt out and sad by this caregiving experience. And we were learning how to love supernaturally and what it truly means to be human and the love that's available to us that we just need to learn to receive and all these marvelous messages through this incredibly deep and difficult journey, we were hearing a whole nother story and it was being brought to light in us. And we clearly heard, share it with others. And that's how it all started.
0: How did this affect the network of friends and so forth that you had at the time colleagues? Everything else, when you started down this particular path or had Mary Addison's disability already kind of isolated you from them or what, how did that, how did that, what did that morph into?
2: Well, Peter, as you and I've talked about a lot, there's so many loving people who want to help and just don't know how, right. And they don't know what to say and they don't know how to help. And that's something. And that's what happened with my social life is that people loved us and wanted to help, but. A, probably number one is we wouldn't let them help. It was so chaotic and so confusing and so embarrassing. And we were full of so much shame and guilt over how we'd fallen apart. I mean, because our finances were falling apart, our marriage was falling apart. You know, we were a mess. And so there were people who tried to love us, but we wouldn't let them. And we didn't know how to tell people to help us at all. So yeah, we kind of already pushed our social circles away. But then when we went down the, we're going to choose to serve. We're going to choose to love. We're going to choose to see Christ in this. We're going to choose simplicity of life and give up all the hustle and bustle of job and keeping up with the Joneses in order to make Loving Mary Addison no longer a burden or a problem. It was the focus and center of our life because it was where we saw Christ the most. That blew a lot of people's minds that we would choose that.
0: It it sounds like you just got off you just got off this freeway. You just you (laughs) found the exit ramp and you just said we're going over here.
2: Exactly. That's exactly what we did, and so that was the. Let, Let me interrupt you there. Yeah.
0: As hard as that was, any regrets?
2: No, not regrets, but you and I both know it's a tough road. I mean, it's like you're swimming upstream constantly. All the time. When you choose to hang in there with someone and live as intimately as we do, as you do, with suffering and the suffering of another person, people are always telling us, Why don't you get more caregivers? Why don't you put her in a home? You know, why isn't she in programs all day? And and it's hard to explain the lessons that choosing to love sacrificially have taught
0: us. What happens to me, and I think it happens to you too, from what you tell me, what I'm gleaning is that people want to come up. It's not that they're toxic people in the sense of. Yeah, there are always those who criticize and tell you what you should be doing. But then there are those who come up and want to whiteboard the whole thing. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought? And then I have to explain to them why I am so far beyond this. And it's not that I don't appreciate good counsel from folks. I seek it out all the time. But until you've spent some time on the field, you're going to always want to interject your opinion from the cheap seats. (laughs) <laughs> uh, or not right. you, but I maybe mean, people. People seem to want to do that, yeah. and and you. This is one of those things, but unless you've actually done this or spent time in this world, it's very difficult to process what it's like to deal with relentless crises. This is not a situation where, where Mary Addison, your family, me, Gracie, reach a homeostasis, if you will it's every day is a new crisis
3: Absolutely, every day.
0: and you get learned it's it's like you never come into port you're always in a storm and you have to learn to make peace with the storm absolutely and, and you can't freak out and some people come into that ancillary they may swerve into our lives and all of a sudden the storm <laughs> they just hit it full frontal and they're like pay what about what do we do with it we just like just just settle down because as i was taking gracie the emergency room everybody was just i was talking they were just kind of panicky but i was i was writing an article while she was in the emergency room right there i'm just sitting right there i got one of the bed trays i raised it up put my laptop and i was finishing an article i was writing because this is my life and if i stopped my life every time we had a crisis i would have no life you well, guys in the same way. You you and you you just learn to just you know blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape you know kind of thing. You just have to learn <laughs> to road that. Well, you write that down, Barry. I didn't come well, up with it, but I'll take credit. I love <laughs> is, it. But, but, but what yeah.
2: it is, Peter, uh, that I went on a two year journey to write the second book, the Peaceful Caregiver with God, was that peace is a choice. You know, God is always extending it, and so many people feel like with bombs going off and with uh, crisis is happening and with people when you, you know, when, when you're caregivers, most of us are taking care of people who are getting worse every day. You know, the Alzheimer's is getting worse. The cancer is getting worse. The dementia is getting worse. Parkinson's is getting worse. You're usually not dealing with situations that are getting better. And, The crisis, the disease, the disability seems to have taken over everything and you start feeling powerless. But when you realize that peace is a choice, that nothing can steal your peace, regardless of your circumstances, if you learn how to practice peace the way our Lord teaches us, now you feel that power again. You have that power back because you realize it's all up to me. You know, uh, Mary Addison, we went on a family vacation and with a bunch of other families. And Mary Addison went into status uh, one morning and we're miles away from any hospital and no rescue meds, no nothing. And she was seizing so badly that we couldn't even pick her up and carry her down the stairs and get her out to the car. So four men had to pick up the mattress she was on while she's flapping and seizing, bringing her down the stairs putting her in the car and us taking off and getting to the hospital. And what all the other families still to this day comment on is, but y'all were so calm, but y'all were so calm. And, you know, my husband said, well, what would getting hysterical have added to this at all? But most people say, but how do you, how do you maintain that level of peace and calmness? And, you know, that's what the Peaceful Caregiver is all about, is how do you really learn to shift your perspective to know that everything really is okay and that you can choose peace and that you can take a deep breath and let the Holy Spirit guide you and that God can bring something really wonderful out of something that the rest of the world is freaking out about. And it's a fact. It, and it's just taken hold of our lives. And so when you talk about the storm we've gotten to the point where we can actually go oh oh, yay hold on tight because we're getting somewhere with this one you know that we're gonna we're gonna learn something and we've realized it's just not chaos there's treasure there if you can just maintain that peace about it and trust
0: You've been listening to a portion of my interview with Mary Tudorow. Her organization is called The Heart of the Caregiver, heartofthecaregiver.com. You can hear the whole interview out at my podcast, hopeforthecaregiver.com. It's all out there. I hope you'll check it out. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization Standing With Hope. When my wife Gracie gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs. they go walking and leaping and praising God, you can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com.
3: When a banker's taught to identify counterfeit bills, the focus is on how to identify real currency, not the fake. Why? Well, because knowing how to recognize what is true is the key to avoiding deception. Hello, I'm Sam Rora with another Stand in the Gap Minute. This week we've looked at the ways God's Word helps us to avoid spiritual deception. We must anticipate deception, We must not envy those who stray from God's path. We must stand firm in God's truth, and we must regularly invest time in scripture to know the Lord's voice. You see, these principles are found in James 4, verse eight, where he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Our goal is not simply to avoid sin, but to walk closely with our Lord, just as a young child sticks close to a loving father. When we focus on our relationship with him, we will better avoid the deceptions we face today. Discover more at American Pastors Network.net.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're glad that you're with us. Hope for the Caregiver.com. That track is from my friend Rob Galbraith, I've known Rob for over 30 years back in Nashville, big-time producer and songwriter and publisher, wonderful friend, and uh, caregiving dad. And uh, I've had him on my program before when we were doing it out of Nashville, and just an amazing story. And Rob's got one of the best senses of humor you've ever encountered I tell him often that he gets a lot of my material. He he's always making fun of me too, because I'll tell him a joke. he said, "Peter, you you trying out your material on me? Are you? Am I your guinea pig?" <laughs> so, yes, you are, Rob. He lets me use some of his music and was a really strong mentor to me musically. We used to be in choir together at church, and he was very gracious to me. He would say. Things like, well, you're a real legit player, Peter, you know, kind of thing. Because I could read music and, and things such as that. But he could flat out play a keyboard, still can. And it just, you know, singer, guitar player, I mean, just an amazing talent. And I would stand in awe just watching him do things the way he would just feel a groove and everything else. And I I just, I've told you all often, I'm Indiana Peter in the tempo of doom, But Rob's just that old-school Nashville music and just knows how to bring it. So thanks, Rob, for letting me use some of your stuff here. And by the way, I hope you all enjoyed a snippet of my interview with Mary Totoro. Please go out to the podcast. It's a free podcast. And depending on how you listen to podcasts, like if you're on Apple or Amazon or whatever, uh, you should be able to see the video that I put up there. If not, then like if you're on Spotify, I don't think Spotify plays videos. So just kind of be aware of that. But it's free. Whatever podcasting platform you use, you can access this at Hope for the Caregiver. It's uh, hopeforthecaregiver.com, and you'll see the podcast there. Follow along or just search for Hope for the Caregiver under podcast, uh, whatever you use. And I hope you'll en- 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 and share, share it with others who you think might benefit from We've got almost 700 episodes out there now. So please take advantage of that. Hope for the Caregiver, the podcast, the website. The Facebook page, all the things I do out there. I was reading in a magazine the other day and it had a whole bunch of annoying phrases that permeate our culture's conversation. Annoying phrases, you know, like, um, I'm sorry if I offended you, which is one of my top ones that I just hate because you're not, you're not apologizing for anything. I'm sorry if I offended you, <laughs> you know, I hate that one. At the end of the day, you know, those were, those were some of the phrases they included. And I was looking down the list, and one of them that was buried in there caught my attention. And let's see if it has the same effect on you. Listen to this. Let me be brutally honest. Now, most at the receiving end of that phrase can affirm that what follows leans more towards brutal rather than honest. Wouldn't you say? It's like a fighter, you know, you ever see those with 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 boxers or or somebody in a fight and they kind of position the guy's chin just to get that right position and then they're gonna follow it with a haymaker. It's a setup. Let me be brutally honest. People who lead with that phrase, they're not looking for consent. Let me. They're using the word let me. Like okay, if I say no, are you going to keep talking? (laughs) Are you going to stop? No, they're not going to stop. Let me be. They're not asking for permission. They're, They're going to just charge right on ahead. And while honesty requires discretion, it does not need permission. Let me be brutally honest. Well, you don't need my permission to be honest. Discretion would be helpful when we're talking with people, but you don't need permission to be honest. And who is going to give consent to brutal treatment. Let me be brutally honest. No, I don't want you to be brutally honest. You know, and and, and you shouldn't lead with that. That's a terrible way to do that. And as bad as that is, hearing that from others, I got to ask you, how many of us talk to ourselves that way? I have. I mean, I've, I've berated myself we're not doing it with the intent to reform. We're doing it to rebuke ourselves. We're just, it's that harshness. I mean, surely I'm not alone in that. It's important to have candid conversations, even with ourselves, candid conversations that that, that they can offer clarity of circumstances without the the beating up and the berating. Despite my mistakes, here's what's working and here's what can improve kind of thing. Okay? That's a frank conversation. That's just Looking at it honestly, here's where I messed up. Here's what I can do to fix this, to make amends, to go from here. Constructive words and a softer tone with others and ourselves. It's not going to absolve the failures or the missteps, but that's not the purpose of it. It can promote a more honest evaluation, however, without the brutality. And we just don't need that in our life. We've got enough brutal. So when somebody comes up to you and says, let me be brutally honest, they're not really going to be honest. They're just going to be brutal. There's a great cartoonist up in um, Canada, who, Richard Needham. And he said, the person who is brutally honest enjoys the brutality quite as much as the honesty, possibly more. And I would concur with that statement. If somebody's going to be honest with you, then they're going to give you an honest assessment. And that's including the good stuff, too. That's including the successes. Those who want to come up with that phrase are just looking to bludgeon somebody. And you don't have to be the recipient of that bludgeoning. <laughs> and neither do I. And we don't have to do it to ourselves either. I'm not about to excuse my failures. At all they, they don't deserve excuse, but what they do deserve is an honest assessment. Okay, why am I here? Why did I do this? Why did this happen? How did this? You know, I had a situation. Let me give you an example. Gracie, she had a bacterial infection, the respiratory stuff, and they treated her with a sulfa drug, uh, like Bactrin or something like that, to, to kind of burn it out of her. Well, she's also on cumitid. She takes for blood thinners, because she threw some blood clots many years ago, and she's had so many different transfusions, she's developed a coagulation issue. And so anytime you put her on any kind of sulfa drug, it's going to cause her PTINR to jump up, her clotting factor in her blood. And she it jumped up so high it was dangerous. We're down in the emergency room. And I I completely forgot about it. She did too, and quite Frankly, so do the doctors. I mean, we just, there's so many things going on with her that sometimes something can get overlooked. It was just a mistake. We got it under control. We fixed it and made a note to not do this again. But does anybody want somebody to come to me, Gracie, or even the doctor and say, let me be brutally honest? No, we just look at it for what it is and say, okay, it was a mistake. How do we learn from this? What can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? That's the kind of thing I'm looking for out of myself. And in the relationships I have with people, I don't mind being called on the carpet for stuff when I make a mistake, but it's always with the intent of how do we shore this up? Not how do we beat you up? And, and I go back to scripture with this because Proverbs has actually a lot to say about this particular topic of, you know, speaking kinder words to each other. And being in a place where we're not just beating people down. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Our bodies could use a little bit of extra health, couldn't they? Proverbs 15, 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. Proverbs 25:11. Like golden apples set in silver is a word spoken at the right time. Proverbs 15:23. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. And I love this verse in Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I don't want to provoke anyone to despair, and I don't want to be provoked to despair. I don't want to provoke myself to despair. I'd like to provoke myself unto love and to good works. And that comes from having an honest frank, candid discussion, but not a brutal one, okay? Let me be brutally honest. No, I don't want to let you be brutally honest. And I don't want me to be brutally honest. We can be honest without the brutality. We can do this. And of course, none of this is to, in any way, excuse infractions, mistakes, bad things that we've done, anything like that. It is an opportunity to honestly assess it for what it is and then ask for the grace and strength and courage to make amends where we can, to ask for forgiveness where we need to, and to trust God with redeeming these things. All of this plays into our walk as calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, more joyful people, as caregivers, as human beings. So when somebody comes up to you the next time they do and they say, Let me be brutally honest. (laughs) I don't care what the circumstances are. Don't you think it might be helpful, healthier to take a step back from somebody like that? And if you're doing it to yourself, don't you think it might be helpful, healthier to maybe take a step back from talking to yourself this way and go back to Scripture to see what God has to say about it? let's not trust our assessment let's trust his and as he guides us we'll see it with more clarity and have better direction on what to do with it whether we need to repent i mean remember back in second samuel when david was confronted by nathan the prophet after all the stuff with Bathsheba and uriah the hittite and nathan said thou art the man he didn't say let me be brutally honest he said thou art the man the truth was enough to convict without Nathan having to take any kind of pleasure of delivering it. Without Nathan putting himself in any other position than to be obedient to God and what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do, to say to this king, thou art the man. Truth can be harsh. We don't need to embellish it with our own harshness. And even in those moments where truth is harsh, God's grace abounds more and that is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time.
2: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.